How did we get here? How did we get here? Um, I had a pretty much completely different message up until about Friday evening. And God said, before we go into some of this stuff, you need to lay a little groundwork. You need to uh, do a little foundation repair or foundation laying, if you will. And I said, yes, sir. And so what I want to talk about today, and I've got a long way to go, a short time to get there. And so we're just going to hammer down. Amen? All you truck drivers, thank you for your truck driving this. So we've got, I know we've got two, somebody else drive a truck in here? Anybody? Besides Don and who? Yeah, Floyd. Yeah, three. So we got three truck drivers in here. Bless them. I can't imagine getting in a truck on a Monday and driving to Florida and going to Maine and going to California and, you know, in a week. I don't like driving to Fort Smith. <laughs> if it was up to me, you guys would be really upset because you'd have no toilet paper or <laughs> potatoes or anything like that. Amen? So, thank you guys. But how do we get here? How... How do we get on this car, train, whatever, and, and, and we're here now? And Lord says, I want to lay a foundation for you because I want to show you through the scriptures. I know this. I know the beginning and the end, right? I know it all. And, I, and I've been showing you. You just haven't been able to see it. And so I want to show you a few things. So <clears throat> I want to go and I want to talk to you about the number one tactic of your enemy, your adversary, the devil. And that is deception. Everybody say deception. <clears throat> I did not have it. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. How many of you have seen the two blue balls that, that's on a meme? And the guy's talking about they look the same, but they're different. Has anybody seen that meme? Okay, one. There's a meme, and it's two blue balls. This guy's doing like a, a conference. And he shows two blue spheres, okay? And he goes, guys, listen, I know you're looking at those and you're thinking those are identical. Let me tell you this right now before we get started any further. <clears throat> they are not identical. One is slightly larger than the other. And he asks a question. Look at them. So let me ask you this. By a show of hands, how many think the one on the left is bigger? About 50% of the hands go up. All right. How many think the ones on the right? About 40%. So there's a few that are like, oh, I don't know. There's always those people, right? He said, well, let me tell you something. Y'all are both wrong, but by power of the word, by power of me giving you a suggestion, I told you that they aren't the same, but they're identical. But you believed me, and you wanted to see what you wanted to see. Your enemy is the same way. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Sometimes we do see things and we go, that doesn't look right. Well, you're not supposed to look with you. No, there are times when, when in our own physical realm we can go, that don't look right. And there's other times in the spirit we go, mm, that, don't, huh, that don't sit well with me. What's go I'm, maybe I'm just crazy. Well, maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're in your right mind. Maybe that's what God wants you to see. How did I get here? Deception is a false impression made to deceive or cheat. Deceit motivated by guile and treachery. Trickery or fraud. Now listen to this part. 
This is straight out of the Bible definitions of what it means to beguile or to deceit. The lust excited by deceit. Properly deceiving, using tactics like seduction, giving distorted impressions. Well, what is deception? Deception in its simplest form is anything outside of the word of God or his commands. If God said it, it's true. If he said don't do it, whatever it is, God's word is right. Anything outside of that, you have an exact, perfect rule book, standard book, if you will, that will tell you whether or not something is deceitful or not. If it's in here, it is. You say, well, there's a lot of deceit going on. Even in the church today, people say, well, you know, God never really expressly said anything about this. And they name something. That may be true, but when you got a job, did your boss have to tell you every... Okay, now when you get here today, you'll sit in this chair. And you'll use the table to pull yourself up. And you go, well, that's dumb. Well, so is your argument. Okay? We can look and we can infer through Scripture that there are things that we can see and we can say, yeah, God may not have spoke immediately to it, but he spoke to it somewhere. For this reason shall a man leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. Well, he didn't speak directly. Yeah, he just did. In that one phrase, he spoke to about three or four social issues that we're dealing with today. Deception. What does God say about deception? Colossians 2 and 8 says this. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I love that. I'm going to start using that in my vocabulary, right? Somebody say something, I'll say, man, that's a bunch of high-sounding nonsense. That come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world. From the spiritual powers of this world. From the spiritual powers of this world. Rather than from Christ. We've got to read things. We've got to see things. We've got to hear things. It's what he's saying. Don't let anybody capture you. There's people on here that's going to say some dumb things. It's going to sound high-sounding. But don't forget about these spiritual powers that we're wrestling with. Remember? Because they're going to say and do some things. They're going to cause people to do some things. They're going to put things in people's minds that are not right, that are contrary to the Word of God. Let me just say this. About probably even a couple of years ago, no one would dare say, well, that's an antichrist spirit. Because they would be afraid that they would offend somebody. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people who make mistakes, okay? That's what we're talking about. We're talking people who are not making mistakes. They are making a mockery of the scriptures. That is an antichrist spirit. You better get used to hearing and saying that. Recognizing what it is. Ephesians 5 and 6 says this. Let no man deceive you. Don't be fooled by... Well, let me read this right here. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Same thing. New King James, New Living Translation. What's he saying? 
Y'all know anybody that tries to excuse some sins? Well, I think that maybe God, well, your opinion doesn't count unless it lines up with the Word of God. If it lines up with the Word of God, we'll take it. And by the way, it's not your opinion, then it's the Word of God, right? You know me, I'm going to try to tell you, when I believe it's my opinion, I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion, right? I, I challenge you. I, as a matter of fact, I encourage you. I'm going to give you enough scripture. You, you'll have your Bible study for a whole week. I give you enough that you probably study for a whole month, maybe even a year. You could take one of these scriptures and probably opine on it and think on it for many months. These things are deep, deep, deep. And lastly, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 12. This man will come to do the work of Satan. We're talking about the Antichrist. He will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. I am guilty of reading sometimes too fast. My mind is about seven words ahead, okay? Sometimes I have to put the brakes on and slow down. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived. Now understand the verbiage here. Understand the language. When it says God will cause them to be greatly deceived, God's not causing this in the sense like if I'm standing on the edge of this stage and I fail, and I said, well, God caused me to fall. God's not pushing me, okay? Like I said, in insurance uh, vernacular, which is bad, we call things that happen bad an act of God. Tornado comes and tears up everybody's homes, and we go, oh, the insurance, well, it was an act of God. No, you're wrong. It was an act of the enemy, okay? What they're talking about right here, God will cause them, because of his goodness and his faithfulness, they will reject him, they will reject him, they will reject him, and they're going to be seared over, and that's the cause. It's more like a cause and an effect, okay? And they will believe these lies. Do you see the answer right there? God's not causing them, they believe these lies. They received them. They will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. What does all this have to do with how we got here? Groundwork. Know that your enemy is a deceiver. I told you we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks and stuff, we're going to be talking about how, do I, how should I look at AI? How should the church look at that? How should the church look at the CERN that's in um, is it Switzerland? Help me out. Geneva? Geneva? How should we look at that? How should we look at aliens and UFOs? You may blow your mind. How should we look at Bigfoot? Well, show me in the Word. I'll get there. Some of you think, oh, my Lord, this is the last time I'm coming back here. This guy is nuts. I may be. He's out of his mind. Maybe I'm out of yours. All right, so now we've got, we know that God does not want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be fooled. Let's go to Genesis. There's a story we need to see here. Genesis chapter 3. So in Genesis 3, we see this is where man falls in the garden. And it says this serpent comes in 
Now understand this, in biblical language, was it an actual snake? Um, there's some speculation that it was actually a dragon, okay? Um, snake, as we know it, is a slithering thing, right? Um, a nope rope, some of you may call it. But in biblical understanding, a snake could have been a dragon, okay? We still have dragons today, did you know that? The Komodo dragon? Did you know that unicorn is actually in the Bible? Some of you go, what you talking about, Willis? Unicorn was a made-up word. I can't remember the exact year, 1800s, I want to believe. But a unicorn is nothing more than a rhinoceros, a one-horned rhinoceros. And its genius and species, unicorn is part of its name. Una, one, corn, right? So what? Go look it up. That's not my message today. But we see these things are symbolic of the culture. So we see this snake. He appears to Eve. We all know the story. He deceives her, right? And God comes down and he has to deal with this mess, okay? I say he comes down. We know that because it says he's walking in the, in the garden with them, right? All these things. So let's go to, um, let's go to Genesis <clears throat> verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Now, what's happened is they have sinned. She ate the apple, okay, the fruit, if you will. We don't know if it was an apple. It was a fruit. Hebrew word there is fruit. She ate it, and then she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. And it said immediately their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. Nakedness in the Hebrew is to represent shame. They were ashamed. So they went and found some fig leaves and began to sew them together. Now, I don't know how they, if they had a machine or what, how they put them together. I don't know. If they had some plant that they knew that had some sticky on it, I don't know. But they made fig leaves and they covered themselves. Representing man's attempt to cover his own sins. It didn't do him any good. Because when the Lord showed up on the scene, they hid themselves. They were already covered. But they hid themselves because of shame. Something that God never intended for them to have fell upon them. Shame. Can I say this while we're here? We don't know time frames, okay? Now, well, I'll get there in a minute. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God was lost. He didn't know where they were. He couldn't find them. They were expert hide-and-go-seekers. And God was going, where are you? I can't find you. Some of you are like, really? No. <laughs> when God asks a question, he already knows the answer. Now listen to what he's saying. Where are you? 
I know where you are. But Adam, do you know where you are? The Lord asks you today, where are you? Are you still wearing fig leaves, trying to cover up all your stuff? Where are you? And it goes on, it says, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The Lord asked another question. Who told you you were naked? Maybe the Lord's asking you today, who told you you were naked? Take naked out, insert whatever issue you may be dealing with. Who told you that? Who deceived you? Who told you something other than what I was teaching you? Who told you that? And so like a good man, he says, it was the woman you gave me. All the women said, hallelujah. The first instance of the blame game, right? Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she said, well, it was a serpent. He deceived me. That's why I ate it. And the Lord said to the serpent, now well, you got to watch this. He curses the serpent and he says, you are going to crawl on your belly all the days of your life. The belly in Hebrew re represents your desires. You're going to crawl on your belly. Your desire is going to be dust. He tells the serpent, you're going to eat what? Dust all the days of your life. Now watch. Remember that. Hold that for just a minute. And then he looks at woman and he says to her, I will cause hostility between, or he's talking to the snake, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What's he saying? He's saying there is a seed war going on. The Bible says this is never going to pass away. There's always going to be seed time and harvest. We thought it just meant our finances and stuff. He's talking about a war. I'm going to put enmity, animosity. That, that word translates war. A battle. There's going to be a fight between his, capital H, seed, and your seed. You're in a fight. You may not even knew it, but you're in a fight. You're in a war. You're in a war. That's why you have armor. <laughs> so he goes on, he says this. And he says in verse 19, talking to Adam, By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat. You're going to have to keep working. Until you return to the ground from which you were, you were made from dust. What did he tell the serpent he was going to eat the rest of his life? Hmm. You mean there's a war? You mean this serpent is eating dust and I'm dust? He wants to eat me? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. It's right there. 
Well, I never saw that before. Yeah, I, I know. hey, things happen, right? You're seeing it now. I used to tell people all the time, God formed man out of the dirt, pulls a rib out of him, something out of his side, makes a woman. Just goes to show you, all men are dirtbags. <laughs> Especially us men that have daughters, right? We're like, yeah. But you can be redeemed, amen? The devil is going to eat dust all of his life. He's going to be after me and you. So we see something I'm skipping around. I've got, this is months of stuff that I'm trying to condense in just a few minutes of time. And we're going we're gonna to open some of this stuff up later and get into it a little bit more deeper. But I want you to get a good foundation of what we're fixing to talk about. So when we do talk about some of these things, you go, that's not so crazy after all, now that I see it in Scripture. So we go back and we go to Numbers 13. This is where Israel refused to go into the land. In Numbers, uh, they send out these spies to go spy out the land. Y'all know the story. And they come back and they make some astonishing understandings, if you will. I'm going to go there, Numbers 13. We'll look at some of these. So they go out, they send out these 12 spies, and they come back. And I want you to see the first part of this story. In verse 25, it says, they explored the land for 40 days. Here's that number, 40 again. We've talked about 40 before. The men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. And they reported to the whole community what they had seen and shown them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Now, when you read the scriptures, if you're not careful, you'll just kind of read the scriptures. you got to see what's going on. These guys come back and they go, Ah, this land is flowing with milk and honey. Oh, my goodness. They're excited. Look at the, they took three guys and a pole to carry back just a bunch of grapes, not the vines of just a bunch. Look at these carrots, dude, you could eat for four days. I mean, you see what I'm saying? They're excited about this stuff. And it goes on. But, see, they went from God's news to ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox. And it says, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anach. What you talking about, Willis? I'm talking about the Nephilim, and we're going to talk about them later. These were giants, half spiritual beings, half human beings. The Amalekites live and they give all of the places that they're living. Verse 30, but Caleb. Oh, we like Caleb. I like anybody named Caleb. I like you, Caleb. But Caleb, I thought, you know what, Caleb? I'm just going to say this in front of this whole congregation. I feel like you would be this Caleb. 
I really do. I, I do. I, I hope you take that to heart. This Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. He said, let's go take this land. <laughs> and they looked at him like he had six fingers and six toes. Some of y'all are going to get that one these days. As a matter of fact, what happened was Caleb knew what was going on. And he still said, man, God has told us. See, he wasn't over there listening to constant negative news. Always bashing Christians. I mean, uh, ABC, CNN. He wasn't listening to that. He was remembering what the Lord, he had seen him do. And he was remembering the stories that were passed down to him from generations to generations of the goodness of God. He said, man, if God's told us we can do it, let's go take this land, man. Let's go get in there and do it. As the story goes, Moses and Aaron fall on their face, Joshua and Caleb, and they begin to cry out to the Lord, and the men begin to pick up stones. They were going to stone them right there. Christians. (laughs) People that were supposed to be believing in God. People that had gone through the Red Sea. A rock followed them, people, and gave them water. And they're like, man, let's go back to Egypt. So they refused to go into the land because they did not want to fight giants. So chapter 13, we see the report. And guess what? They're not kicked out. But they're put on a 40-year journey. What should have been an 11-day jaunt turns into 40 years in the desert, dealing with the same old problems. Here's what I want you to see. They got deceived. They started looking at these giants. As a matter of fact, your scriptures say that one of the men says, um, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. These were big people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying they weren't. They were big people. Goliath was a big person, and I don't think he was the biggest of them. How big of a guy, I'm going to jump in, somebody's going to be like, oh, don't go there. How do you think they built the pyramids? Um, I'm not saying that Nephilim did it, okay? Some of y'all are like, what? I see some of you, whoa, look at the smoke in this room. Some of y'all's wheels are going, oh, it gets better. Listen, will 30 of you come back next Sunday? Just 30. Okay. So they got deceived, and they're not going to go to the land. They're not going to go to the promised land. They're going to to go in this 40-year journey. Here's the thing. They did not go into the promised land because they did not want to fight giants, so they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Guess what they were doing? Fighting giants. But instead of fighting giants... With a home field advantage, if you will, they spent it 40 years in the desert on the giants' turf. They still fought giants. You can stick your head in the sand and say, I'm not going to fight this giant. Yes, you will. (laughs) You'll either fight it on God's terms or your own terms. You're going to fight giants. But we need to be like Caleb bring them on. Bring them on. Isn't it funny sometimes 
the littlest guy is like the one you don't want to tangle with. <laughs> like fighting a buzzsaw, you know what I mean? The bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? I mean, y'all ever, you know, we're Arkansas. Y'all got banny roosters? They'll find the biggest chicken out there and go attack it. They'll jump on a turkey. They'll jump on a human. They don't care. Banny rooster. That's what I see. I thought, isn't it interesting that the, the Nephilim were distinguishable because they were very large people? They were huge, okay? Goliath was a Nephilim. King of Og was a Nephilim. Siphon was a Nephilim. They were big. I'm going to really stretch you a little bit. There was somebody else who was a Nephilim. And the Bible actually records that he was head and shoulders taller than all of the other people. Do you all know who that was? King Saul. King Saul. He was a Nephilim. (laughs) They were big. Now watch this. In Joshua 1.9. You ready? You ready, Kara? Okay. I hope I can do it without crying. <laughs> mm. Do you all remember the words that came this morning? Watch. Our God is so good. There are people who mock the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, messages, even in the Christian world. Did I say anything to you today, Miss Sharon, other than, hi, how are you? Did I say anything to you, Miss Jean, other than make me some more cinnamon rolls? Nathan, I didn't even see you this morning. I spoke to your lovely wife, but now watch. Joshua 1, 9. This is Joshua Academy's verse, their rally cry, if you will. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dis. Discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay? You got your Bibles? We're going to flip over a little bit to Joshua 10. Joshua has crossed over the Jordan. They're going, they're wiping out Canaan. Let me just say this. If you come back in the next few weeks, you're going to find out why God said, destroy these people. You think God's mean? God's loving. And he's kind. We're going to find out exactly why. It's going to fit perfectly. There's going to be the smoke that was filling this place earlier. It's going to be so bright I won't be able to look at you because the light bulb's going to come on. All right? In chapter 10, Joshua and his army have set their hand against the people of the Canaanite region, all right? Do you have those maps, Brian? Can you pull that Old Testament one up first for me, please? So, we're going to see 
Um, Gideon is where they're headed, but we're going to see Jerusalem, Jarmuth, Hebron, um, Lachish, and Eglon, all this area right here. Now, can you give me the new one? So here we have Jerusalem, we've got Hebron, we've got uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Gaza. These are all the same cities. Where's all the trouble at? Okay? Nothing new to God. Nothing new to God. This has been a, this has been a problem for a long time, right? God's fixing to take care of this. All right? God said Israel is forever. It's not going anywhere. It's not. On the day that you think it is, you better be looking up. Because <laughs> King Jesus himself is fixing to put his foot on the earth. You talk about, you know, we say it this way, all hell's going to break loose. All heaven's going to break loose. You know what I mean? It's going to be a great and terrible day all at the same time. So, let's go back. So, we're in Joshua 10. So, you get an idea of where these people are, where they're fighting. So, Joshua goes in. And he starts whacking and stacking, okay? He's killing these people, wiping them out, because the Lord told him to. We're going to understand why in a couple of weeks, a week or so. So, let's go to, well, what happens is the, the army, the five kings who have come against Joshua and the Israelites <clears throat> are fleeing, and they they chase them into a cave, and they seal them up with a rock. And then the armies run back and tell Joshua, hey, we've got the five kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, uh, uh, Lachish, and Eglon. We've got them all in the cave. And Joshua says, put a guard out there. I'll be there in just a minute. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. So he gets there, and in verse 24, when they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of his army, come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. <clears throat> if we go back to Genesis, God told the devil there's going to be a seed war. And just so you know, I win. And what's going to happen is my guy, Yeshua, he may walk a little funny because his heel kind of hurts from crushing your head. He's going to crush your head and bruise his heel. That's what he told him. So here we see Joshua and his commanders, and they drag these guys out. These are the kings, the head dudes. The principalities, the dominions, the virtues, okay? They drag them out. He says, hey, chiefs of my battalions, come here. Put your feet on their necks. And they did. What does that mean? In the ancient Hebrew, to put a foot on your enemy's neck is the word subdue. It is the Hebrew verb chavash, meaning to subdue. But it is important to have the full picture of a Hebrew word. It is very limited in its ability to describe the Hebrew. The noun form of the word is kvesh and means a footstool, a place where one places the foot. When you put your foot on a footstool, what are you doing? You're resting. 
I think I'll just prop my feet up. You know how good that feels sometimes? <laughs> when you're sitting in your chair or your recliner or whatever, and you go, and you go, oh, man, that feels so good. The Bible says he wants to make your enemy a footstool, completely subdued. In the dog world, when a dog goes nuts, another dog will put his mouth on the other one's neck and put him on the ground. Won't bite them. Now, if they keep wiggling, he'll keep putting pressure until they submit. Okay? And then when it's over, who's the alpha? Right? Jesus said, put your foot on their neck. Joshua says, put your foot on your neck. But you understand that Joshua is a derivative of Yeshua. Pipes and shadow. Right? Jesus, Joshua, is telling his chiefs, come put your foot on their neck. Yahshua is telling his chiefs, come put your foot on their neck. You're going to subdue them. It goes further. To put your foot on the enemy's neck is a conquering sign of submission of the enemy. This verb means to bring a people or a nation into submission. The word also means to bring into control, meaning to make an end of something or to subdue it. If you have your Bibles, keep your place in Joshua. And let's run over to Hebrews right quick. Say, so what does this do with how we get there? We're going to get there. Trust me. If you go to Hebrews, the very first chapter, look at verse 13. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So in Joshua, we see these five kings are pulled out. They put their feet on their neck. And Joshua speaks over them, and he ends up slaying them with the sword. They're done. They have, com they have completely <laughs> submitted now because they are, they are unbreathing. Say it nicely, right? They are unbreathing. But watch what he says. Verse 25, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Hmm, seems like I've heard that somewhere before. Joshua told his men, be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. You know what you're raising at Joshua Academy? Giant killers. God's called you and I to be giant killers. I can't do it, Lord. He knows. That's why he wants you to lean on him. He just asks you to bring the sling. He'll provide the stone. He's just asking you to stand there. He's asking you to... Let it go. He'll take it from there. We've talked about this. I have preached this a hundred times. <clears throat> and I've preached it. A lot of you knock your giants down, but you never kill them. The story of David and Goliath, we emphasize the stone. The stone only brought the giant down to David's position. 
But he used what Goliath brought to kill him. He pulled it out of his sheath and cut his head off. You will never get back up. Can I tell you this? Some people say, well, that, that sounds pretty mean. Goliath didn't even have a chance. Goliath was a Nephilim. He did not have a chance. He was irredeemable. Some of you hadn't even put a stone in the sling. Some of you have hit your giant, but you've not drawn the sword. God's asking this question. Where are you? It's not because he can't find you. He wants you to answer the question to him. Where are you? Where are you at in this process? Are you willing to put the stone in? Are you willing to pull the sword out? Come on up, worship team. <clears throat> Can I tell you this? And we're going to find out a better understanding of this a little bit later on. But it says that David took Goliath's armor and his sword with him back. What's the significance? This is a teaser. They did not have, they being Israel, did not have the technology to produce the kind of sword that Goliath had. It came from a spiritual understanding that was not good. He took that sword back with him. As we go throughout the next few weeks and maybe months, years, I don't know, we're going to see that what should we be worried or not worried's a bad word. What should we be concerned with? What should we be keeping our eyes on with technology? With advancements of certain things? We're going to get into transgenderism, things like that. Probably get kicked off YouTube a couple times. What's this all about? Because if we're not careful, we'll be up. It's kind of like a sickness, okay? We're more concerned about the symptom than the problem, right? So we get drugs to fix our symptom. Don't get me wrong. If you have a broken arm or something, you want something for pain. I get that, okay? But you wouldn't want to just keep taking a pain medicine. You'd want to fix whatever's broken, right? And yet, sometimes in our spiritual understanding... We kind of stick our head in the ground and we just start looking at symptoms. Why is this person over here doing, why do they think, this is crazy. Huh? Then we start seeing the big picture and we go, oh, man, this is what this is all about. These people are being deceived. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I asked and said in the beginning of this thing, if you're here today and you don't know if it's going to be a great or a terrible day for you. I want you to make that decision today. What I'd like to do is this, um, that last song we sang, what was it called? Gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. Can we sing that song again? Is that okay? Give the media guy a little chance to click buttons and move things. I guess as a way of being dismissed, so to speak. I want us just to 
go out of here worshiping.